Amber and Amanda here. We'd like to introduce you to the newest podcast, Article 15, produced by Veterans Drinking Vodka Production and hosted by our good friend, Ryan Brazel. Article 15 is attempting to bring both awareness and an end to 22 veterans committing suicide every day. Ryan speaks with everyday veterans with everyday issues for veterans acclimated back into civilian life. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Amber, what are you drinking today? Well, Amanda, say this on here even though it'll be way later, but it's important, I guess, for people to know that on today is my last day of drinking for 75 days, and I have some of this bush light still, so we're rocking with the bush light. Awesome. Woohoo! What are you drinking, Amanda? Today, I actually didn't feel like drinking a lot, so I found in the refrigerator of the house that I'm staying at in Arizona, a Seagram's Escape. Oh, I guess you really aren't going to drink a lot. No, it's called Jamaican Me Happy. So <laughs> that made me smile. And it has all my favorite flavors. It has lemon, strawberry, watermelon, and guava. Of However, course, guava. it is only 3.2% alcohol by volume. Oh. It's like one step up from an over-sugared Kool-Aid. Not bad, though. No. Take it. But it'll probably give you worse hangovers than the other stuff. Oh, that's probably true. That's why I'm only having one. You better find something for later. I'll make a drink later. I just didn't want to make a drink yet. It's a little early. Welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell, and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Jill Dodson. She served in the United States Army from 1991 to 2011 and served in radio repair and then transitioned into OCS and was commissioned as a logistics officer. How are you doing today, Jill? And what are you drinking? I'm doing good. My fiance has COVID and I got tested today, so hopefully I don't have it, but I'm drinking Diet Coke. Cheers to Diet Coke. Years. I actually have what three of them with me just in case. Yeah. Pretty quick. That's We're going to have to do a lot of cheers in then so you can drink all three. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jill. <laughs> Welcome to our party, Jill. Hey, I'm good. As long as I have a Diet Coke, I'm good. My name is Doc. I am hosting a softball tournament in June. Actually, it will be June 3rd, 4th, and 5th, the first weekend. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday event to raise money for Mission 22 to help prevent veteran suicide. Because as you know, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. I personally am a Mission 22 survivor. I would love for y'all to be a part of this tournament by giving donations. I can be reached by email and it's beard, B-E-A-R-D, bash, B-A-S-H dot softball at gmail.com. All money, all proceeds will go to Mission 22. So Jill, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and how your story started? Sure. I'm from a suburb of Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I grew up with a sister who's five years younger and a brother who's 15 years younger. It was, it was a rocky, rocky childhood, but a good one also. I don't know. That's, 
pretty much it as far as that goes. Yeah. So what led you to consider joining the military? Uh, I went to Ohio State for a year. Go Buckeyes. But I was drinking too much. So this is where my drinking story started. I was drinking too much, not going to school like I should be. I was living at home and it just wasn't working out for me. And the recruiter called and said, hey, have you ever thought about joining the Army Reserves is what he said initially. And then I went in to see him and he showed me or somebody showed me an airborne video. And I was like, I want to do that thinking when I initially went in, it was with the hook of college money. They said, well, if you want to do that, you're going to have to go active duty. You know, I was like, well, maybe. And then when I signed on, they signed me up for five years. So, well, there you go. So you started active duty or they started you with the reserves at five years? No, I started active duty. I went, oh, they stuck you in good. Did. But when I was in basic training, I knew I was going to retire from the army. And I told my drill sergeants one day, you're going to see me as a sergeant major. Uh, I did retire. Uh, just went to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> it skipped being a sergeant major. It went straight to captain. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, met some, I, met, I met a couple of really badass sergeant majors. I mean, they're, it's so different. Like to me, a sergeant major which is E9, correct? Yes. So that would be a master chief in the Navy. Mm -hmm. And a sergeant major is way more badass to me than a, than a master chief in the, in the Navy. And not even just like the rank they're just their whole persona is. Oh yeah. The ones that I have met, they're badass people. Just there are very few that I've met that I didn't look at and think, man, that's a badass for sure. Yeah. I don't know what it, I've never looked at. I've never looked at a master chief and was like, you're a badass. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bad. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm now, no one, I had get no repercussions for anything that I say on here. <laughs> so you kind of said why you joined the army. Did you pick your job before you went in or you went in and they're like, well, you're going to be a, a radio repair. I picked today. my job before I went in. Um, I scored high on the ASVAB or whatever it is. And they gave me like, well, no, they didn't even give me a choice. They're just like, hey, you could do this. And uh, it's a radio repair repairing, um, you know, top secret equipment. Yeah, not quite. But <laughs> they sell it good for sure. They do. they do. So what made you decide to go through OCS? Well, I had made it to staff sergeant and um, I didn't think I was going to get promoted past that. Like um, my MOS was not big on promoting to sergeant first class. And I didn't want to stop at staff sergeant and wait, you know, six, seven, eight years to get to the next rank. So I decided to go to OCS instead and, you know, control my future myself. Good reason. Oh, yeah. And now that I'm retired, you know, I didn't think about this at the time, but now that I'm retired, man, am I glad I went to OCS. The retirement is so much better. Yeah. Um, I was not a good officer. Let me just tell you that up front. <laughs> I did it for 10 years, but I don't kiss ass. So 
my soldiers, much better staff sergeant than you were an officer, huh? Yes. My soldiers <laughs> loved me, the officers, maybe not so much. That happens a yeah, lot that, I feel like when people go enlisted and then carry over to officer is it's it's a whole different kind of officer. And mm, I feel right. like there's a lot more respect from the enlisted ranks that you're in charge of or that you're managing than you yeah. do from your peer group at that point. Mm-hmm. Especially like remembering though, I feel like a lot of, and I felt this in the Navy when they put on khakis, when you hit E7 and you're forgetting, first of all, you're still enlisted. And second of all, you're forgetting where you came from. Mm-hmm. And I think that that remembering you were enlisted, you were there, you were, you were actually in their shoes at one point mm-hmm. to remember that when you are leading them, when you're in charge of them, when, when they are looking up to you helps build that relationship so much better than being an officer, having no enlisted experience whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, because at that point, I feel like if you come in straight as an officer, you're coming in as I'm better than you. Cause I'm an officer and mm-hmm. you're going to salute me. Yes. And I, that came in, did kind of have that attitude, but there were a few that came in straight out of college and kind of sat back and watched and, you know, figured it out. Was that who's really running stuff, you know, it ain't the officers. <laughs> it's that middle enlisted group mm-hmm. right there. Sure. Like E5 to E6, seven, somewhere mm-hmm. in there. I'm probably um, still friends with more of my enlisted friends, like the the master sergeants and the first sergeants, you know, that I trusted to do their job. I'm probably friends with more of them than I am the officers, honestly. Yep. Those are the people that you go through the trenches with. Like, Mm, absolutely. They're the ones that are there for you. Mm. So what you did a lot of years in the army and you achieved your goal of retiring, even though it was as an officer and not as a, E9, but that's okay because that's right along the same path, you know, still greatness. What were your duty stations and did you have a favorite one? Uh, Yes. So I started at Fort Bragg in the 82nd Airborne and then I went to Okinawa, Japan. And when I was in, I went to Okinawa with my first husband. He was special forces and I, you know, I went with him and they just found a job for me. I didn't even do my actual job. And then I went to Fort Lewis, which now has another name, but that's in Washington state. Um, I went to Germany and I started in Germany as a Lieutenant and then Oklahoma city after two tours in Iraq, I was really burnt out. And I was like, you need to give me something a little you know, so I can breathe for a minute. And so I went to OK, OKC, got married, I had thyroid cancer, and then went to Rock Island Arsenal in Illinois. And I went there because I was non-deployable at the time. And that was right at the end of my career. And I had had two babies. No, I had one baby before I went to Rock Island. So I had a baby and then I had thyroid cancer and then I had my second baby. Yeah. I retired from out of Rock Island Arsenal and my favorite, you know, at first I was thinking my favorite at first, I was thinking Germany or Okinawa because amazing, you know, but more for all the things that I got out to go do and see and all the different places I got to go. But I really think Fort Bragg was my favorite. 
And it was more about what I learned as a soldier, you know, just being airborne. And we just had a different mentality than all of the rest of the units I went to later on, just much more hardcore. And I loved that. And I carried that discipline through with me until the end, until I got cancer and ballooned up like a, yeah, I got big. We can cheers to the fact that you were in Japan and Germany and still picked uh, Fort Bragg as your favorite duty station. Cheers to that. Not for the scenery. (laughs) Definitely for the badassery. You know, I've noticed not just with our interviews, I knew this before, but airborne, whether you're 82nd or, well, 82nd does not like 101st airborne, but whether you were 82nd or 101st, that airborne is huge mm-hmm. when you're in the army, like mm-hmm. kind of like the ACs in, in the Navy, like ACs are bad. We're, we're the best rate in the Navy. And I'm not saying that because I was one. I mean, yeah. if you look at the AC community and other rates have their, have their little things, but they're more like on the boat or West coast. It's not to me. I didn't think that was as widespread as Air traffic controllers, they knew that I was coming to San Diego when I was still in Pensacola and I hadn't even graduated yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's such a small community. It it truly is. But having that airborne, whether you're 82nd or 101st, they don't like each other, but... They don't like anyone else either. (laughs) Right. It's just like, it's not different, but it almost is. It's more, to me, it's kind of more elite without having a special designation without having a special rank just the fact that yeah you're airborne and that's Mm -hmm. a big yeah I was one of the very back in 1992 I was one of the very first females in our company yeah so it was what it was cool but it was also was it harder because you were one of the very first females uh yeah yeah I think so but I think it was more about I didn't care you know, um, about, uh, if they had a nudie pictures or (laughs) because one of the things that they had to change, they had a war box that, you know, when they went out with one of the battalions or company or whatever, they would take the war box with them. It had everything already in it. And they had to, they had to take off their nudie picture. And I was like, I don't care about the nudie picture. <laughs> you know, this is a bigger deal to y'all than it is to me. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, I'm just here to be airborne. You yeah. I'm just, I'm just here to be one of y'all. Don't, yeah. don't worry about me. Yeah. You're like, I'll be fine for sure. So with you serving all over the country and in other countries as well, do you have a preference over East Coast versus West Coast? I have other than um, Fort Lewis and, and that Seattle area, I have not really been much on the West Coast. I do not prefer it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm definitely an East Coast girl, but, you know, I'm Midwest, so. Right. I kind of like the the country atmosphere, you know, like, hey, y'all. <laughs> I don't know you, but, you know, everybody says hi to everybody. Half a point for the east coast then no points yeah. for the west coast yeah we'll go half a point yeah. for the east coast half a point yeah we're not giving them a full point no where's the midwest west coast is still in the lead oh it's gonna it, <laughs> the east coast will never catch up no <laughs> schwartz davidson law is a texas-based veteran-friendly law firm credit and debt is a big game and one rigged for you to lose 
The system's designed to keep you in it, spending money and juggling different types of accounts so lenders feel more comfortable lending you money. Worse credit equals worse rates, and there's no shortage of companies trying to collect. Negative reporting is an attempt to collect a debt. So what happens when a debt collector or credit bureau makes a mistake? What happens when they refuse to fix it? That's when it's time to lawyer up with Schwartz-Davidson Law. Call the folks who started in credit restoration, got a law degree, and have been holding credit bureaus' feet to the fire to protect consumers and help you take hold of your financial future instead of letting the anxiety of it run you. How do you get a debt collector to stop calling? Let them know you've got an attorney. How do you get the best deal on a settlement? With an attorney. You don't have to break the bank to fix your credit or deal with debt collectors. Contact the attorneys at Schwartz-Davidson Law for a free consultation and let us go to battle for you. We're here when you need us. Do you have a favorite active duty story? We call them sea stories in the Navy. I guess the Army calls them active duty or deployment stories. Or We haven't quite figured out yet what your guys' niche is on that because we just call them all sea stories no matter where they are. But do you have a favorite one you can tell us? I don't. I have a ton. I have a ton. <laughs> but the one that just kind of sticks with me, airborne school. Man, that was a trip, just all of it. I remember running... And, you know, I was having a hard time keeping up because, you know, they're running their pace. And uh, I started to fall back. And the black hat was like, do you want to be a leg? Do you want to be a leg? Just fall out. Get back there. Fall out. So as as we're running to and it did, it motivated me to, you know, keep going. Okay, so do you know what a leg is? Nope. Um, when you're airborne, a leg is someone who is not airborne. Oh. So I'm just going to cheers to airborne. Cheers we can cheers to airborne. airborne. Absolutely. We can cheers to them all day long. <laughs> like up here in badassery, like for sure. So, what would airborne equivalent in the Navy be? Maybe like para-jumpers? I don't know. Well, I know the Navy and the Marine Corps goes through airborne school. Yeah. So they have like, yeah, probably the guys that jump out of airplanes. It's the same thing, right? Yeah, that's what that is. Um, And then the other part of airborne school was when they, on my second flight, the black hat looked at me like he had just had a moment and he was like, have you been out the door first yet? And I was like, no, you know, (laughs) I was, I was 19. So I'm like, no. And so he pulled me up there and had me stand in the door and look out the door of the C-130, I think it was. I'm pretty sure. Man, it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. But I just remember, you know, like, holy crap. And But I think he grabbed me because I was... I think he grabbed me because I was... Super young, super naive, and, uh, you know, like one of the only girls. And he's like, come on. Did he let you go first? Yeah, they let me go first. All right. It was awesome. Cheers to being number one. I'm always good with being number one. Right? Always cheers to being number one. That's so cool. I think you're our first airborne person that we've been able to interview on the podcast. So that is super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, you know what's funny when I was getting ready to leave airborne school, we had just graduated and one of the black hats was talking to me and he said, You need to ask to go to the 82nd when you get to Fort Bragg. And when I got there, 
and I told the replacement station that I wanted to go to the 82nd, they all started laughing at me. (laughs) (laughs) So did you get set up for that or was it somewhere you really needed to go? I think he was setting me up because hopefully I was a good soldier, but you know, it could have been like, (laughs) let me get her, but I don't think so. No, no. I don't know. So did you get 82nd or with? You told us where you went, and I don't remember. Yeah, eight seconds. Eventually, after your long career of being a badass, you had to transition from being in the military, in the army, to being a soldier, to civilian life. How was your transition? Hard. So hard. So I retired in 2011. I retired to Oklahoma with my second husband, decided I was going to be a stay-at-home mom, but I just, I was lacking purpose, direction, and motivation. There was no structure to my life and I couldn't create it for myself because someone had always created it for me. Not to mention I had PTSD, depression, anxiety, chronic pain and exhaustion, the exhaustion being from the thyroid cancer. And, you know, I was... I started at first, it was just for fun. I'd have a couple of drinks in the evening, but it was every night, you know, and then my second husband wanted a divorce. And uh, I feel like that just set me on my downward path. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I can't, I can't do that. Right. So I moved to Norman, Oklahoma. My drinking just escalated and I tried going to AA. I tried outpatient treatment at the VA. Uh, I did multi-level marketing. I volunteered. I wrote a book. Like I was trying to fill my life still to some degree I am, but I was trying to fill my life with these things and relieve my pain with alcoholism while trying to look normal to everyone. And you know, being a mom as a veteran is so hard because you just feel so out of place with everyone. I mean, I think you felt out of place anyway in the civilian world. Absolutely. But I just, and I'm older too, you know, I didn't have my first daughter until I was 36. So I'm an older mom. So I did all of these things to try to help with the drinking. And then I went to inpatient treatment that didn't work either. And then I went, (laughs) I lost my kids. I lost my kids to my ex-husband. And it was at that point when I was sitting here by myself, drunk and miserable, my sister called me and said, Hey, I've already called this place. They specialize in trauma I really think you need to go, you know, you're, you're not the same person. You aren't going to get your girls back sitting there drunk, but you know, I was feeling sorry for myself. So then I went to treatment in Arizona and they actually focused on my trauma not just how to quit drinking. Yeah. They went after what was causing you to drink instead of trying to just quit drinking. Right. And so I did EMDR. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah, we've talked about that a few times on the podcast. Amber is a big advocate for it. Okay. So I did that and I really felt like it helped. It 
kind of put to bed some of the things that were troubling me. Then when I came back, I just had such a desire to quit drinking for my girls. Initially, it was for my girls. Today, it's for me. But, you know, when I started my girls, getting my girls back was my my primary concern. And then I divorced my third husband uh, in in the midst of all of this. Then, I, you know, I'm I'm sober now. And uh, my first year was miserable, absolutely miserable sobriety. I thought hard about suicide um, two times. And I remember just praying and praying and praying for God to take that away from me because I I didn't know what else to do with it. I still didn't have my girls back and I was fighting for custody and there was a really horrible mother, uh, uh, their stepmom was really horrible and um, she's no longer in the picture. So that's, that's a godsend, you know, just made my life so miserable and I wanted to die, but I'm here. I made it through that year. Um, I finally have, I never, I didn't so far get custody of them back after thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. I don't know that I will because I have a really good relationship with their dad and his fiance and see them whenever I want. I build up that trust, you know, that I had lost over the years. And if you had asked me two years ago, if I would be able to live without my children with me where, where I believe they belong, I would have said, no, I can't live without my girls. And here I am, you know, embracing the good in it and the fact that I can see them whenever I want and, you know, go to their uh, school events and, have a really good relationship with him. And anytime he needs my help, I'm there, you know, so, and with my exhaustion and chronic pain and um, all of that, I get a break, which I never would have, I never would have thought that would be okay. But it honestly, sometimes it is, it really is. So God works in mysterious ways. How many days have you been sober? I have been sober two years and I'm going to have to look it up for you, but it's for sure two years. And what is today? I don't even know. The 7th? Today is the 5th, the 5th of January. Okay. So on the 8th, it'll be two years and one month. That's amazing. That's awesome. You are, you are amazing. Like her badassery level just keeps going up. (laughs) I know. I know. It doesn't stop. Like to do all that stuff and be so cool and then to like fight the demons and come out of it and be sober today and have that relationship with your children is hands down one of the coolest things that you could have done. Man, I, I get teary eyed when I think about it um, because it was such a long road and I tried for years to quit drinking and I just couldn't. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's, it's something that we as service members that carries over into veteran life have used for years and years and years as a coping 
mechanism or a bonding mechanism or a gathering mechanism or a, yeah. it's something that I've talked to my mental health team several times about because I was like, I didn't feel like I was drinking excessively when I was in the service. But then when I got out, it was a different set of rules I wasn't ready for. And now I was. Mm-hmm. And so you don't always know how to go to the other side of the line mm-hmm. or you don't have the same support that you had out of the military or that you had in the military when you get out. And so now where your social drinking wasn't a problem, it's mm-hmm. now not considered social drinking anymore because the rules that you follow are so different. And that's, that's and a very hard thing for veterans to wrap their minds around. And yeah. it's a very hard thing for people that have never been veterans to understand as well. And that's yeah. something that I struggled with significantly when I first got out. Well, alcohol just took over my life. Yeah. Like I had to drink to do anything to, um, you know, go to a kid's event. I, it may be just a drink or two, but I still had to have them to go to a kid's event, a birthday, um, anything, you know, it, it just controlled my life. And I had to know, um, you know, when we would get done with church so we could go to a restaurant that served alcohol, you know, so I'm living this, this good life and looking the part, but inside alcohol is controlling my life completely. Right. Right. Yeah. I've had civilian friends. I've slowed way, way down with my, my own drinking issues but that was that's been a long road as well and i haven't i haven't quit like you have which is okay like that's okay but not everyone needs to right but i i definitely went through some hard times and i i got in a lot of trouble and i've done the rehabs and i've spent some time in county lockup because of it and but it's the same thing like my friends that were not military were like how do you drink all day and never get drunk and i'm like well because i'm not drinking to get drunk i'm drinking to moderate my feelings yeah. and that was something that I had to get over. Like I had to be like, I'm okay with not drinking to moderate my feelings. So now I can have a drink when I do the podcast or when I'm hanging out with friends or for new year's, or it's more of a social thing, but it was a 10 year road to get there. And I had to, I quit drinking for a long time before I, and like, that's what I was to trying it. to do for yeah. a long time. I think that's what I was trying to do. I was trying to figure out how to get back to moderate drinking mm-hmm. and not like, everyone can. And not everyone can. And especially because I'm, I take a lot of medications for a ton of health issues. And I can tell you, looking back, there's no way I should have been drinking with all of the medication I take. Yeah. Yeah. And driving and doing all the other things that you were able to do. Yeah. That's scary. And to look back sober, to look back at who you were two years ago. Where you are now. Yeah. And to think that you know, I hate drinking and driving. I think it's awful. But when I look back, honestly, there were times when I was, mm-hmm. you know, there were times and, and you didn't uh, feel like you were because of where you were at in your life. But then like looking back, you were like, yeah, well, and you probably weren't drunk. You were having your one or two mm-hmm. on your way here or on your way there. Yeah. I was right. definitely trying to be a functional alcoholic. And in the end, I lost that completely. Yeah. And I'm super do. proud, super proud. Like you're, 
awesome. You're an awesome person, Jill. Thank you. Her level of badassery just honestly keeps going up and it's amazing. Jill, now that we, we know that you were a badass in active duty and we know that you are also a badass on your journey of being a veteran and finding your purpose, how are you doing today? Well, today, I already said I'm two years sober. I am engaged, which he's awesome. He treats me like a queen. He's tired of the bullshit, just like I am, which uh, he doesn't drink. Everything about him is amazing. Don't tell him I said that. (laughs) Deal. (laughs) We are getting ready to move to be closer to my girls, still in Oklahoma, but about an hour away so we can be closer to them, do more of the- How old are they? They're 12 and 10 girls. Okay. And they're just amazing. They're- I- don't know how they turned out as good as they did, you know, with, you know, my drinking, but they're just amazing kids. And I'm in therapy, really good therapy with the VA, which is honestly about the only thing that I've gotten from the VA that really means a lot. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, Uh, no, we have mixed reviews on the VA from everyone we've talked to. Honestly, they they were pretty good up until COVID hit. And I feel like once COVID hit, I can't get anything really accomplished with them anymore. In addition to therapy, I'm in AA. I have a wonderful group. I was leading the group, but I've taken a step back so I can focus on moving and all of that. I have three dogs. And with my husband's, my husband, my fiance's kids, we have seven kids total. He has five and it's just a really great life. I'm looking at going to school to get my library certification, but I don't want to do that until I move. Whatever I do, as long as I'm sober, I'm okay. I agree. That's awesome. I have no words. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Like, thank you. Oh, look, chill bumps. Jill, oh. your inspiration. So do you have any advice for veterans that have been struggling for a while or those that are getting ready to become veterans or are new on their veteran journey? Well, I don't know what they call it in the Navy, but in the Army, we call it sick call. And I say, go to sick call, get all of your medical things annotated, because if they're not, when you get out and you try to get VA help, you're going to struggle. And I really haven't, I mean, it hasn't been easy, but I'm a hundred percent disabled now. It's because I wrote all of that or I went to the doctor, you know, and then after that, if you're drinking or feeling like you want to end it all, get help, talk to somebody, anybody, don't try to handle it on your own, your bottom. I heard this and I don't know where, but I love it. I'm not very big on quotes because I usually can't remember them, (laughs) but your bottom is when you stop digging. You know, so many people talk about rock bottom and everyone's rock bottom is different. You know, I didn't go to jail. I didn't die yet. You know, if, if I pick up a drink again, it could happen. So yeah, I just, I think it's really important to get help and 
also to have a hobby or something. So you're not sitting at home, you know, thinking about all of the things you don't have anymore. Yeah, that's huge. That helped me a lot was finding a hobby when I didn't have one and kind of setting me on the right back on the right path in, in my journey. Cause it, it was pretty bad for a while, but your story is amazing. And we are super thankful that you agreed to be a guest on our podcast this week. So that, yes, that makes us very happy. Thanks for having me. At first I was a little concerned because it's veterans drinking vodka. And I was like, um, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, no, we, we take all kinds, (laughs) all kinds of veterans. Actually, I think that's, that's a pretty even mixture too of people we've talked to some are drinking, some are not. Yeah. We've had several, several recovered alcoholics on here. It's, and we feel like it's very important, not only for you to come on and be able to tell your story about that, but for those that are struggling with it to hear those parts of the veteran story that you did struggle and you did go through hardships and you did lose things that were important to you or your whole world or whatever the case might be, but you're still okay. And you're mm-hmm. still fighting and you're finding your way as a veteran in the veteran community. And so that's, that's huge. Like anyone, sorry, anytime anyone reaches out to me and is like, but it's called veterans drinking vodka. Do I have to drink? And I'm like, absolutely. You do not have to drink. Like that is not what we're about. So, and the more we're around and the more people are talking about us, the the easier it's getting for people with your similar stories to come on here, which is cool. Mm -hmm. So, because I'm like, it's just a name. Like it's just a catchy name. <laughs> so it, it's more about those stories of like losing yourself and coming back and being okay. So we, we thank you for, for going that deep and sharing that side of your story with us. Oh my gosh, you guys, thank you so much for having me on. So if we have any listeners that would be interested in talking to you about your story or need someone to reach out to, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Facebook and they can find me on Instagram. I'm not very public on there, but I'm always willing to answer messages. I have an email, but it's not very easy to, it's not like Jill Dodson. It's army girl, but it's R M E G R R R L at Yahoo. So I'll put those in the show notes. So if anyone would like to contact you, they can send you a direct message on your social media platforms or your email. And, and we can go from there. We would like to give a huge thanks to Rafa 180. Rafa 180 offers pure medicinal CBD and products made locally. They walk alongside individuals to achieve a healthy lifestyle with options needed by each person. You can learn more about them on Facebook at Rafa CBD, their website, www.rafa180.com or email at rafacbd at gmail.com. They truly believe your journey matters. Amber, do you want to talk a little bit about the charity that we're supporting this episode? Sure. So on top of our continuous support for Tilbahala Project, We are also supporting for the next couple of months, the Fallen Outdoors, which is a veteran run, veteran owned, veteran operated organization that takes veterans on hunting and fishing trips across the country. They can be found at the Fallen Outdoors Sucks. 
Com, and you don't have to be anything but a veteran with a DD-214 and an honorable discharge. By listening to our podcast and sharing it, you're getting more attention brought to them and allowing other veterans to hear about that also. How can they um, find us, though, Amanda? Oh, you don't want to talk about our merch? Oh, I I guess I will. (laughs) (laughs) We have merch for sale. We have t-shirts, long sleeve, short sleeve, tank tops. And hoodies. We also have stickers and koozies. And Amanda will put the link to our merch and show notes. But a portion of our sales goes to the Fallen Outdoors and to the Hollow Project. So absolutely supporting us helps us support those organizations. Now, where can we be found, Amanda? <laughs> we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. Or you can email us directly at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com. Please reach out to Amanda and myself if you would like to tell your story and be a guest on our podcast. You can send us an email or a direct message at any of the social media outlets that Amanda mentioned. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. It helps with the podcast world algorithms. I got it. Algorithms. She got it. I got the word. But it does help with the podcast world algorithms that we don't really understand, but we know exist. So by you leaving uh, reviews and giving us ratings, it boosts our visibility within those platforms so that more veterans can find us and hear what we have to say. Yes. You can also join us every Sunday for Veterans After Hours via Zoom. We start at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are hanging out, telling stories, sharing resources, and meeting new friends. We do have to leave the disclaimer with you, though, that it is an open networking forum for veterans, so we never really know what's going to happen. And so it gets it gets pretty real sometimes. It gets pretty funny sometimes. It gets pretty awkward at times, but it's always a good time. So stop by and and see what happens when you put a bunch of veterans together. Yes. But the reason why Amanda and I started this podcast and one of the things that's most important to her and myself is veteran suicide and that 22 veterans killing themselves a day is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans drinking vodka. Cheers. Cheers.